0: So, Rachel, when the shuttlecraft Galileo crash lands on a hostile planet inhabited by angry giants, (laughs) the crew crew members argue bitterly as Spock attempts a desperate ploy to be rescued. What do you think you're going to get here?
1: Hmm, So our crew are in a shuttlecraft now? Yes. The one on our Christmas tree? Yes. That's instead of beaming, I guess, which sounds a bit safer. But why are they visiting a load of hostile giants? what do you think probably delivering golden geese or clubs or something <laughs> i'm looking forward to seeing how they managed to do giants on the show uh, big yeah. puppets lumbering about stilts oversized furniture maybe mm. that sounds expensive
0: yeah
1: maybe they'll just be giant ants like in zanti misfits <laughs> but not really bigger than the crew come on put me out of my misery
0: get ready for some disappointment <laughs>
2: Watches Star Trek? Captain's log, star date 2821.5. En route to Marcus Three with a cargo of medical supplies. Our course leads us past Murasaki 312, a quasar like formation. Vague, undefined, priceless opportunity for scientific investigation. On board is Galactic High Commissioner Ferris. Overseeing the delivery of the medicines to Marcus Three.
0: That was the Captain's Log intro to the Star Trek episode, The Galileo 7. I, Chris Lackey, a Star Trek fan, have just watched it with
1: my wife. Rachel Lackey, and I'm watching Star Trek for the first time. My fandom is pending, shall we say?
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs> but first, don't forget to head over to Nowhere Streetwear to check out some of the designs there which are many Lovecraftian sillinesses and also other things that will appeal to nerds and sci-fi geeks and the like.
0: Yes, it appeals to me. I want all of them and I seem to remember somebody saying that they were going to get me a shirt. And... Uh,
1: yeah. I've just been talking to Clyde about that, actually. Oh, Yes, it's going to be realized. But which one do you want?
0: Oh, God. There's so the many Innsmouth good ones.
1: The whiskey one.
0: Oh, that's a good one. Yeah. That's a good in-joke for the people that know the story. Yeah, he
1: said it was inspired by your show, HP oh. Lovecraft Literary Podcast.
0: At hppodcraft.com. <laughs> wow. Forget HP Podcraft. Go to nowherestreetwear.com and check out these amazing
1: shirts and pick one up. If you know how to spell the word wear in two different ways, you'll be able to get to this site. Nowhere with a h, streetwear with an e a in the middle.com.
0: Yeah, just like you would think it would be spelled. Nowhere?
1: Nowhere. We're going nowhere to get this streetwear? Just <laughs> like you think.
0: <laughs> and with that, let's get into this episode. It opens with Kirk on the bridge. Spock is on a shuttlecraft ready for launch.
1: The director's got a new steady cam and has told Shatner to never stop walking about. <laughs> It's quite good.
0: (laughs) The shuttlecraft is chock full of people, including a few we know, Spock, McCoy, and Scotty, but also Lieutenant Latimer, Gitano, and Boma, with Yeoman Mears.
1: I'm so sick of these characters who just appear as part of the crew and we will probably never see again. I'm just supposed to accept them and go along with it?
0: Yeah, I mean, I guess maybe it's cheaper to have actors one-off, you know, Hmm. so you don't have to give them a contract or anything. (sighs) I guess, I'm not sure. They're on a scientific mission checking out a nearby quasar. Back on the bridge, the turbo lift opens and this imposing guy just stands there (laughs) in the turbo lift with the door open for way too long.
1: Just standing in the open lift. Imagine too long and then triple it. (laughs) What an entrance. (laughs) (laughs)
0: <laughs> He's High Commissioner Ferris say Ferris, he saunters, <laughs> say Ferris He saunters in and reminds Kirk That they need to deliver medical supplies To the plague on New Paris The Enterprise must rendezvous with another ship The Marcus in five days To get the supplies where they need to be Kirk, knowing this, reminds Ferris <laughs> That he is under orders to investigate All quasars and quasar-like phenomena And that the rendezvous location Is only three days away Two days to play with
1: So finally we've got some detail On what the heck they're doing out there If you happen across any quasars or quasar-like phenomena while you're out there delivering groceries, you must investigate (laughs) them, and that's an order.
0: (laughs) The shuttle launches and hits some rough turbulence that knock it off course. The quasar is generating electrical interference, so the sensors and communications are impossible in the area. Uhura is able to pick up a communication that says, blown off course, before they lose them entirely. Kirk starts a search with no sensors, just using visual, in the quasar area, which includes four solar systems.
1: What is a quasar? These are the facts I've got so far. Uh-huh. I'm scanning all my radars. Well, she said she's from a quasar. 40,000 million light years away. It's a distant solar system. I tried to phone, but they don't list them. So I asked her for her number all the same. She said, step in my transporter so I can teleport you all around my heavenly body. This could be a close encounter. I should take care not to flounder. Sends me into hyperspace when I see her pretty face. Does that help?
0: Well, actually, it seems like you've read my notes. Oh, <laughs> does it? <laughs> oh, yeah. You know, I'm always incorporating Jamara Kwai into this show. god. <laughs> Back in the 60s, they didn't really know what a quasar was. They detected radio waves of these very small, incredibly bright things, but had no idea what they really were. Quasar is short for quasi-stellar object.
1: Which means star-like? Yeah.
0: What astronomers think today is that quasars are in other galaxies. At the center of each galaxy, you know this, is a black hole. Hmm. That's what all the spinning around is about. Everything that spins in our galaxy spins around a gigantic black hole at the the center. (laughs) Now, I know you know this. There are about 100 billion galaxies in the known universe.
1: I do not know this.
0: Okay, well, there are. At the center of some of these galaxies are very, very huge black holes That are so big, they're shooting out these huge beams of radiation. They're said to have what is called active galactic nucleus. Some galaxies have these. Many do not. Ours doesn't. The idea that we could go to a quasar, it doesn't really make any sense in Star Trek. Hmm. Because the closest quasar to us is 2.5 billion light years away. (laughs) To give it a frame of reference, our galaxy is 100,000 light years.
1: Hmm. That's quite a lot further.
0: Yes. So we're skipping millions. Going straight to billions, (laughs) really far away. Star Trek in the show, they only cover a small portion of our galaxy. When they say warp factor one, it's supposed to be the speed of light, according to later Star Trek shows. They don't really define it in the old series. So when Kirk says, you know, I had warp factor one, it would take the Enterprise at warp factor one, leaving Earth 4.2 light years, Proxima Centauri, which is our closest star. Mm
1: -hmm. So that means
0: the Enterprise at warp one, it would take 4.2 years.
1: To get there. To get there. They might not be starting from (laughs) Earth.
0: Of course not. (laughs) They're not. They're never up. But I'm saying that the distances between stars is usually pretty far yeah they have to go much faster than that typically star trek got quasars wrong but they didn't know what the hell quasar was in the 1960s. Yeah, so yeah but next gen and future star trek shows they always have scientific advisors on them to give the most current scientific framing of, mm. of these things so that they don't make mistakes like this but then again science only knows so much and new data is gained every day
1: a lot of it's just guessing. No, well, not. well most 90% of, it. of it's guessing.
0: No, they, it's based <laughs> on evidence. And they take that evidence and then they come to conclusions. Or sometimes they don't. They'll just say, mm. well, we have this evidence. We don't know what it means. Mm. And that's what happened to the quasar. They're like, we don't know what this thing is. Maybe it's a star. We don't know. And then yeah. Star Trek decided to go, well, let's go visit one.
1: Yeah, yes. And let's then, see what that
0: would be like. Yeah. But in this episode, the quasar is smaller. It seems to be like a very bright star or a storm or something. At the heart of the space storm is a planet called Taurus Two.
1: And we are two Tauruses. Oh, right, yeah. Taurians.
0: We were both born in in May. The Galileo crash lands on the planet Taurus Two. They have fallen out of their non-seat-belted seats and have a few bumps and bruises, but they are all right. Scotty gets to work right away trying to fix the ship. Vladimir and Gatano are sent out to scout.
1: Did they have seatbelts on passenger planes in the 60s? Apparently all US World War II planes had them. Yeah. Just looked at a video of 60s people seatbelting up. I mean, why wouldn't they? Yeah, of course. But of course, this is Star Trek of willy-nilly beaming and no-gloves fame, so no seatbelts here. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, they're really pointless, the chair. They could just be on the floor. Yeah. Back on the Enterprise, the sensors and transporters aren't working. Kirk sends out another shuttlecraft, the Columbus, to go looking for them. Ferris just lurks around the bridge, Ugh. nagging Kirk... Reminding him of how much time they have, and if Kirk doesn't leave when they have to, bears can assume command of the ship. Mm. And Kirk knows this and he's like, Yeah, get off my case.
1: Yeah, why are you even here? It doesn't I'm make it perfectly responsible for doing all of these things every episode.
0: Yes. But Uhura is able to narrow down the search to Taurus too. So Kirk gives orders for them to go to that planet.
1: There's a lot of Uhura action in this episode, which I love. Mm-hmm. She's almost constantly involved on the bridge scenes. Yeah. Now we're talking. Yeah. So that's what Doctor King was so determined to maintain.
0: Yeah. Yeah, She's yeah.
1: actually properly in it
0: uh, Back on the shuttle, Scott's got some sour news The Galileo has lost most of its fuel ah. And to be able to reach escape velocity They would have to lose 500 pounds And then I thought, pounds? Mm-hmm. They still haven't gone metric? Mm-hmm. Since there's nothing in the shuttle that they can do without They know they'll have to lose three men
1: Yeah, they specify men of course Because the purpose of the yeoman is for McCoy to be chivalrous <laughs> I guess He keeps sort of taking her by the hand and leading her around is he supposed to be a sex symbol for the grannies or something?
0: <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I think it's the blue eyes. They just really...
1: All blue eyes? They,
0: li- they really get into him. The crew starts getting a bit rude with Spock. There's a whole lot of insubordination mm. in this episode. And I've been watching Star Trek Discovery, the new Star Trek show, and there's a lot of arguments and people throwing their weight around, which I felt wasn't very Star trek But now, I totally got to eat my words. Hmm. I forgot how argumentative and insubordinate everyone is on the original series.
1: It's as though this is how they have to manufacture conflict.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Quite literally. So Spock takes this decision of having to get rid of three guys very seriously. Three men left behind so that everyone else can survive. Hmm. But he's logical about it. He's Spock. But Lieutenant Boma is really bugged by Spock's lack of emotion coming off pretty racist to me
1: hmm. and boma's played by an african-american actor so that adds an extra layer to it for yeah. the viewer i guess
0: so boma suggests that they draw straws and spock is like random luck is no way to deal with this crisis i'm way more qualified than a bunch of sticks to decide who stays and who goes
1: yeah and you better start being nice to me because i'm gonna decide but they don't <laughs> <laughs> They're zeros sucking up I know it's supposed to be a post-racial society, but I projected onto Bulma that he might be thinking, if Spock is prejudiced, I'm in the shit here. Oh. Did you? <laughs> no, <laughs>
0: no, no. It occurred to me. I just, I'm in it. I'm in the post-racial society. Yeah. I mean, not literally. I'm not in it. I mean, I'm when I'm watching the show, yeah. I just buy it. No, it, it, it's strange that they chose Boma to be the one that really doesn't like Spock, and you can mm. tell kind of an irrational dislike for him.
1: Real seething hatred, yeah. really.
0: Yeah, yeah. And I wonder if that was a conscious choice to have a, a black person play a person that seems to be judging people unfairly based on their race, or yeah, or I don't not. Know. Mm. He's a great. actor actor, the guy that played mm. him. While everybody else is on the shuttle arguing, Vladimir and Gatano are out scouting mm-hmm. and then they hear some strange grinding sounds and it gets really foggy. This creeps them out so they start heading back to the shuttle but then they run into some giant cavemen-like dudes.
1: <laughs> we see legs close to the camera with the bottom of a fur skirt. It's like Tom and Jerry are Muppet Babies. You know where you can only see the legs of the adults. Oh. <laughs> I was simultaneously amused, impressed, and disappointed.
0: Oh. Oh. <laughs> the giant cavemen attack and they kill Vladimir.
1: This was really hard to take seriously, yeah. as the spears are way too light and so vaguely, lazily thrown about. <laughs> also, why don't the giants just come up and stab them? If you imagine throwing a toothpick at a mouse, <laughs> it's not going to do anything. But if you stab a mouse with a toothpick, I feel bad I'm going to stop. <laughs>
0: <laughs> you're right though it's well i think that was the budget they couldn't have a giant attacking a dude so they figured well we'll just throw giant foam spears at people mm. it totally does not look believable no. at all really pulls you out of it mm. so latimir falls from the ledge then Gatano manages to drive the torrents away with his phaser spock and boma find him slumped over staring at latimir's body after running ahead to make sure that giants are gone spock returns and examines the spear Comparing it to prehistoric Earth weapons, commenting that it is crude and not very efficient.
1: Agreed, although somehow it has killed someone.
0: Right, yeah. <laughs> the crew finds Spock's musings about archaeology totally inappropriate <laughs> when their crewmate has just been killed.
1: This is the only point at which I agree with them in their arguments against Spock. Yeah. Though he isn't just being a smartass, he's trying to understand the enemy.
0: Yeah, because he's Spock, man. He's got a job to do. <laughs> Task at hand. Spock responds My concern for the dead will not bring him back to life, Mr. Boma. Boma and Gatano decide to carry the body back to the ship, but won't let Spock help them, because they're like children. Mm. He is different than you. Cut him some slack. You can just see the hatred oozing off of Mm. them. They hate Spock.
2: Captain's log, star date 2822.3. We continue to search. But I find it more difficult each moment to ward off a sense of utter futility and great loss.
0: So back on the Enterprise, sensors and transporters and communication are still compromised. Kirk orders the Columbus to widen its course. Sulu objects that this leaves significant gaps in the search area, but Kirk notes that this way they will cover most of the area in the time they have.
1: Kirk's making some sound decisions, doing anything he can to rescue his two BFFs before the mean (laughs) jerk guy forces him to abandon them.
0: Back on the Galileo, they've dug up about 350 pounds of non-essential equipment still means they have to leave a man behind then they argue about the ethics of leaving someone behind especially with giant cavemen to save the others it's a
1: little bit like conscience of the king but on a much smaller scale
0: yeah boma pops his head in and he says he's ready for spock to do the funeral ceremony for latimer spock is like there's work to do to save all of our lives mccoy can do it
1: old blue eyes looks pretty annoyed with him saying it's spock's responsibility as commanding officer i just couldn't get into it Chris. (laughs) I know what they were getting at, that Spock seemed callous and dismissive about honoring this colleague who died. And I know they have to leave his body behind and can't do a funeral later, but this is a crisis situation.
0: Yeah, this is stupid. Who are they doing this for? Latimer? Latimer? Because he's dead. And if I was dead, I would tell them, forget a funeral. Mm-hmm. That is stupid. Save your lives. If everybody dies, then who's going to do your funeral? <laughs> yeah. I've thought about what kind of funeral I would want. And then I've realized, you know what? Forget it. It's not about me. Mm. It's about the grieving. What are they going to need? And I, if I was dead, Latimer, and I could talk to them, I would tell them to offer my body as a peace offering to the cavemen.
1: Ah, <gasps> good idea. If it will keep them
0: alive. Or... You know, make me into a meat puppet and scare them off. <laughs> I'm dead. It doesn't matter. Save yourselves. A
1: meat puppet.
0: <laughs> but of course, Spock accepts this duty, but insists that the repairs come first to maximize the chances of survival for the remaining crew. Mm. Later, while Scott and Spock continue to attempt repairs, a ruptured tube leaks all the remaining fuel. Ah. Now the shuttlecraft has no means of propulsion. Spock advises pessimistic Scott to consider the alternatives, stating there are always alternatives.
1: He won't let him give up. Spock doesn't have the expertise or answers, but he's inspiring Scotty to find some. If anyone can do it, the Greasy Hair Twins can. <laughs> <laughs> greasy hair? Yes, yeah, Bok and Scotty. You think it's greasy? Well, they've got a lot of gel on it. <laughs> I just thought it was a
0: glossy sheen.
1: Well, they've got a lot of brill cream in there, haven't they?
0: <laughs> Outside, loud, grindy noises are heard again, which Spock identifies as wood rubbing on leather.
1: What does that mean? I don't know.
0: <laughs> Boma suggests since... The cavemen seem to have a tribal society that hurting or killing one of them would scare them off. McCoy and Gatano think it's logical. You know, they say that it's logical yeah. trying to get Spock on oh. board.
1: Spock admits there is logic to the plan, but he chides them on humans' disregard for life.
0: Yeah, that's some prime directive stuff that doesn't come up until later in Star Trek. That You know, you shouldn't just go around willy-nilly killing things or interfere with other planets or other cultures or the life forms, which hasn't really been established yet in in the show i think it comes in later in this series
1: yeah i guess it's not the caveman's fault that they landed there yeah spock proposes to scare them by blasting phasers simply to frighten not injure he leads Bomer and gatano towards the taurians and tells them to fire at two and ten o'clock for some reason not (laughs) sure why that's scary
0: (laughs) well i think he was trying to like make a wedge around them and Mm. maybe kind of pincer them between the the beams so that they would run away i don't Mm. know they decide to leave gatano to stand guard by himself and stay in communication with the ship
1: that's a terrible idea surely why
0: yeah i got beefed with a lot of the writing on this particular episode spock leaving this dude alone is just plain stupid
1: (laughs) i like how if spock does something awesome you credit spock but if he does something silly you (laughs) blame the writers (laughs) true because
0: spock is infallible he's perfect Scott has an idea to reconfigure the main reactor to function on the energy from the hand phasers. Their only chance of escape will be to take their only means of defense.
1: Oh, this should have been more tense. (laughs) More. (laughs) Oh, no. Now they're in a pickle.
0: It wasn't. No. Spock authorizes it as their only viable option
1: back on the Enterprise, transporters are now working. So Kirk beams three landing parties down to the planet in hopes of finding the lost crew. No equipment is working which could scan the planet like they did on shore leave to see Mm. if there are life forms, presumably. The ion storm and all that.
0: Be still my heart. You're (laughs) sounding like a real Trekkie. God. uh gatano is hit by a large rock knocking his phaser from his hand then he scrambles pathetically up a cliff (laughs) but cannot a giant lumbers in close to the camera looking really big the shot switches so we see the giant caveman bashing something which we're supposed to imagine is him this giant is just a normal guy on stilts
1: what was he on stilts yeah
0: and he's got normal sized arms (laughs) which look pretty silly
1: (laughs) don't judge him (laughs) (laughs) just as god made him
0: Spock, McCoy, and Boma run, and they find Gatano gone with the phaser on the ground. Spock tells them to go back to the ship and that he's going to go after the caveman, and then he hands Boma his phaser. So Spock's going to go unarmed?
1: Oh, yeah. Come, come on. on.
0: Spock, this isn't you. They even have <laughs> him say he's doing it for scientific curiosity. Like, what? I mean, I get that they're trying to make him sound heartless, mm. but he just sounds stupid.
1: Hmm. Spock finds Katano's body and Fireman lifts it to the shuttlecraft. The Torians soon start throwing spears, all of which miss Spock. <laughs> Why are they such rubbish hunters? <laughs> A caveman has followed Spock back to the shuttle and begins ramming rocks against it while everyone quakes inside. Spock struggles with the caveman's illogical behaviour. Well, Mr
2: Spock, they didn't stay frightened very long, did they? Most illogical reaction we demonstrated our superior weapons, they should have fled. You mean they should have respected us? Of course. Mr. Spock, respect is a rational process. Did it ever occur to you they might react emotionally? With anger? Doctor, I'm not responsible for their unpredictability. They were perfectly predictable. To anyone with feeling. You might as well admit it, Mr. Spock. Your precious logic brought them down on us.
0: So, this whole scene is ridiculous. Spock knows that there are illogical creatures in the galaxy. In fact, almost all of them are. He and Vulcans, for hundreds of years, have been dealing with illogical creatures. (laughs) This is not new for them. I wouldn't say that any behavior of a lesser, ant, like an animal, Mm -hmm. their behavior isn't illogical. You can look at animal behavior and understand why they do the things that they do. Mm. So Spock should be able to do that same thing, that these people are from a primitive society. This is how they will react and how they'll behave. Mm. Now, he could be wrong. He could make mistakes. Mm. It doesn't make sense. He would go, well, they acted in a way that I didn't predict because... I don't know the species. I don't know enough about them. I don't have enough data to make sound decisions, but I did my best.
1: He's a 3D chess guy. He's not just going to think if I scare them by my superior weapons, they're never going to attack us again. He's going to think 30 moves ahead or observe them first.
0: Yes. I I understand that the scene is supposed to show a weakness in his logic, Mm. but it's not logic that's the problem. It's just uh, insufficient data. Spock is better than this.
1: So what did you think of everyone ganging up on Spock?
0: I thought it was racist and insubordinate. They should all be demoted. Mm. (laughs) Spock is way too lenient. As a matter of fact, I looked this up. In the Star Trek novel Dreadnought, Scotty got Bomba court-martialed due to his insubordination towards Spock. Mm. Spock left the insubordination out of his report But Scotty made such a stink about it that Boma was discharged from the fleet.
1: Oh, right.
0: So he got kicked out of Starfleet. Ha!
1: Wow, yeah. Eat it, Boma. (laughs) Is there something about Spock's lack of emotion that means he doesn't get offended He didn't seem to get offended or affronted when he was being so insubordinate. He was able to just continue to be logical and work things out. So perhaps that's a strength of his that he doesn't become overwhelmed in that way.
0: Yeah, I mean, well, Spock is part human and he understands human emotions. Mm -hmm. I I think, again, he's being too lenient and he should Mm -hmm. just say, you're being insubordinate. The fact that he doesn't mention it in his report, uh, this is, of course, uh, not official Star Trek. This is a novel that somebody wrote. Mm. I mean, it's an official Star Trek novel, but it's not in the show. Yeah. In the book, that Spock is generous and kind Mm. and far too understanding, in my opinion, Mm. of other people's emotions, even though he doesn't experience them or he suppresses his.
1: Yeah, it shows two big differences between the leadership of him and Kirk. He doesn't take action or reprimand when somebody's insubordinate. Yeah, And also, he doesn't seek advice from other experts and then choose among those opinions.
0: Well, I mean, he is an expert on everything, pretty much. So. Oh. <laughs> but, but Scotty, he does. He listens to Scotty.
1: Yeah, true. And
0: he did a great job inspiring Scotty to come up with a solution for their problem.
1: Yeah, so maybe they are more similar in that way, actually.
0: Back on the Enterprise, Ferris comes in and reminds Kirk of the time.
2: What do you intend to do? Do they intend to continue the search, foot by foot, inch by inch, by candlelight, if necessary, until the last possible moment. If you keep your nose off my bridge, I'd be thankful. I'm sure the authorities will be pleased by your diligence, Captain. I'm not so sure they'll appreciate the way you address a high commissioner. I'm in command here, Mr. Ferris. You are, Captain for another two hours and 42 minutes. Kirk is
0: awesome. So with these cavemen battering on the ship, Spock gets this idea to use the ship's batteries to electrify the outer hole, mm. and that seems to work. They still need to drop some weight. Spock says the bodies need to be left outside, so Boma insists that it's time for the funerals, and he says he'd insist even if it were Spock's body. Spock calmly agrees, provided the creatures will permit it. I'm sick of this machine!
1: McCoy's really cross with Boma for saying both those things and shouts at him.
0: Yeah, so does Scotty. Kirk gets word that the landing parties have been attacked by giant cavemen, and some have been killed even. This is looking really bad for Spock and company.
1: Mm. Commissioner Ferris then waltzes in and tells Kirk his time... Time has run out and assumes command of the ship. Man, this guy is so annoying. F*** off. (laughs) But Kirk stays calm and holds his own.
0: Kirk orders the remaining landing parties to return and calls the Columbus back, which Uhura says will take 23 minutes, holding out hope that the Galileo might still have some time to make contact. Kirk commands Sulu to prepare to abandon search. Set course for Machus Three. Scott has just finished draining the last phaser into the shuttlecraft's power supply and estimates that they have enough power to maintain orbit for a few hours.
1: What are these phases powered by, and why does it take so long to drain them? They're only tiny.
0: (laughs) Think how long it takes to charge your phone. You know, it takes Mm. a while. I don't know. (laughs) Scotty says that they're ready to take off in eight minutes, so Spock gives them ten for the funeral.
1: Ooh, two extra minutes. (laughs) That's (laughs) softy.
0: The Columbus returns to the Enterprise. Kirk is left without any further excuses for delay, so he orders the Enterprise to begin to take the trip to Marcus 3 at space normal speed with full reverse sensor scan.
1: What is space normal speed?
0: Uh, I'm guessing it's sublight. They're going on impulse engines away. They're not entering warp.
1: I took it that it was really slow so yes. they could show the commissioner they were actually obeying, but not really. Not really. Like, <laughs> like a child being really literal with an instruction as a way of regaining power. Oh. I am getting in the car, but they're doing it at 0.1 <laughs> miles per hour. <laughs>
0: I don't know if it's going to work.
1: But I loved it.
0: I loved that he did it. It was awesome. So the funeral ceremony is interrupted by flying spears. Boma and McCoy race back to the shuttle while Spock throws spears back at them. Mm -hmm. Uh, As he heads for the shuttle, a rock is thrown and it traps Spock. He tells the others to take off without him, but they disregard his command and help.
1: It takes them about 10 seconds to free him from the silly polystyrene rock, which no amount of miming can convince me has him trapped in any way. <laughs> they make it back, but the 10-second rescue has allowed the caveman to surround the shuttle and hold it down. Yeah.
0: They can't redo the electric thing because they need that electricity to be able to escape. Yeah. They fire the boosters and escape the orbit, but realize that in doing the boosters, they won't be able to do a soft landing. And if they're not rescued, they will burn up in the atmosphere upon re-entry. Spock comments that thanks to Boma and McCoy trying to save him, they have now no chance for survival. Hmm. Scott echoes Spock's earlier comment that there are always alternatives. Spock says he may have been mistaken. It's like, oh. Spock, don't give up. Mm -hmm. So ends your first command, says McCoy. Ooh. Kicking a man while he's down. I
1: know. Scott estimates they've got enough fuel to maintain orbit for 45 minutes. Spock sees a little switch that says jettison fuel and he flicks it and ignites the fuel, creating a burning green trail behind them. This leaves them just six minutes of orbit. The Galileo crew is shocked at what he's done, but then Scott realizes Spock was sending up a flare and looks really indulgent and admiring at him. (laughs) A good gamble, he says.
0: Good old Sulu notices it and Kirk turns the ship around to attempt rescue. As the Enterprise gets into transporter range, they see the Galileo starting to burn up in orbit, Smoke is filling the inside.
1: They're sitting there stoically, sweating and coughing.
0: It explodes. But thankfully, Kirk gets the call from the transporter room.
1: They saved the crew of the Galileo. Yay! There's a beautiful reaction from Kirk when he realizes the team have beamed in successfully. I found it really gorgeous, mm. nuanced. Again, it's one of those skillful looks that I can project onto it what I think he's feeling. Right. Relief, pain, pride, etc. Yeah, yeah.
0: shannon mm. has got the goods. Yeah. He does. With the Dream Team back together on the bridge, Kirk decides he's going to give Spock a hard time about his actions.
2: Mr. Spock. Captain, there's really something I don't understand about all this, and maybe you can explain it to me. Logically, of course. When you jettisoned the fuel and you ignited it, you knew that there was virtually no chance of it being seen, and yet you did it anyhow. And that would seem to me to be an act of desperation. Quite correct, Captain. Now, we all know, and I'm sure the doctor would agree with me, that desperation is a highly emotional state of mind. How does your well-known logic explain that? Quite simply, Captain. I examined the problem from all angles, and it was plainly hopeless. Logic informed me that, under the circumstances, the only possible action would have to be one of desperation. Logical decision, logically arrived at. Ah, uh-huh. I see. You mean you reasoned that it was time for an emotional outburst? Well, I. Wouldn't put it in exactly those terms, Captain, but those are essentially the facts. You're not going to admit that for the first time in your life, you committed a purely human emotional act? No, sir. <laughs> <laughs> You're a stubborn man. Yes,
1: sir. Everyone's pissing themselves laughing. Is this the way they're going to end every episode now? (laughs) (laughs)
0: Yeah, I guess so.
1: (laughs) I suppose with the amount of stress they're under, you've got to laugh. Yeah. But Kirk is actually slapping McCoy at the hilarity of it all, and Scotty's wiping his eyes.
0: (laughs) It's like they're at a Don Rickles roast or something. (laughs) So let's do the ratings.
1: Mm. Concepts. Spock wanted to decide logically who'd be left behind to die so that the ship was light enough to take off rather than leaving it to chance. They went over and over that, using it to indicate that he's unfeeling a machine, mm-hmm. but he never had to make the decision in the end.
0: Nope.
1: I suppose it was a parallel for the Enterprise's conflicting responsibilities to find and rescue the shuttlecraft crew versus getting possibly life saving medicine to a plague ridden planet in time. Yeah. I felt zero empathy for the plague victims, though, yeah. due to hating the commissioner so much. Did you?
0: Yeah, I agree. Yeah. My question is, why make him unlikable? Mm. He could have put pressure on Kirk, which was his narrative purpose, Mm -hmm. just by being really worried about the plague people. Yeah. Like, or maybe tell a story about a little girl who was on the planet. Oh, so much better. Oh, yeah. And then that would make us feel something. And it would also make us understand Kirk's position.
1: But this took the wrestle external to Kirk, where he'd normally have it within himself. Yeah. Which would have been more interesting. Yeah, I think so. The commissioner ruined it! I'm trying not to use sex negative or gendered derogatory words, but I think it's hard to think of them. Do you think calling him an ass is okay?
0: <laughs> yeah, sure. Asshole is a bridge too far though.
1: Okay. <laughs> and anyway, how about taking out those useless seats? Yeah. They're bounce away as much as two people. Yeah.
0: This episode was a science fiction retelling of the 1939 film Five Came Back. Hmm. And guess who was in it? Who? A young Lucille Ball. It all comes around.
1: (laughs) Or did Spock decide who was going to be left behind? Because he sent those two mustard shirt guys to their deaths, essentially, to solve the problem. Was it? I don't know. Two.
0: (laughs) Uh, Yeah, I gave it a two as well. Entertainment.
1: This was a slow-cooked, half-baked turkey for me.
0: Yeah.
1: It seemed dated and low-budget. The overall, repeatedly, repeated talk of Spock's logic was so tiresome. Yeah. The tension was non-existent knowing that the main guys would come to no real harm and not caring about the new ones. Yeah. There must have been a way to make the caveman aliens entertaining, even on a budget. Mm-hmm. Superimposing big shadows onto the rock or so something that felt more convincing, uh, perhaps. Oh, yeah, that would have
0: been cool. It was slow. It felt like that they had time to fill and they just showed people looking around for way too long. <laughs> I guess it was supposed to build tension, but it was just boring.
1: Just flat somehow. Yeah. There was a real lack of chemistry among the crew on the Galileo, I thought, too
0: two sexiness
1: points for kirk and spock nearly kissing while he busted his balls at the end <laughs> kirk was sexy as usual and Ahura was doing this leaning over thing with her hand on her hip All right, yeah. and loads of being efficient and involved sexy minus points for the jerky commissioner
0: four the uh, latent sexiness of kirk and spock is not enough for me Ahura. is is a goddess (laughs) and for her presence alone, I give it a three. (laughs) We haven't uh, uh, gave shout outs to backers uh, in a while and we need to do so.
1: Welcome everybody. Thank you so much for joining us.
0: So we're gonna just do a chunk of our new backers right here, right now.
1: We found out a fact about each of these new backers. Melinda Buzzer, she's a dolphin trainer. Robert
0: Anderson, he invented a special kind of porcelain.
1: Frank Bailey makes pancakes that look like Nelson Mandela.
0: Stefan Anundi can lift 500 pounds.
1: Eric Top gets out of bed faster than anyone else in his house.
0: Don Motley is an excellent skier.
1: Ada Terrell has been electrocuted five times.
0: Douglas McNeil once saw an eagle pick up a dog.
1: <laughs> and who could forget when Kurt Orozco made all his own clothes for a year?
0: <laughs> Daniel Wiley once jumped a jet ski over a cruise liner. <laughs>
1: And Ben Dudden created a new invention which involves putting butter, then peanut butter, then almond butter on toast. John Jenkins is a very sensitive person. And a great kisser. What? Mm? Stuart Moses has played Jesus five times in his life.
0: (laughs) John F. Roshert once arm wrestled John C. (laughs) Riley.
1: James McKellen saw Ghostbusters 15 times when it first came out.
0: (laughs) Brian Callahan once taught a monkey how to talk. Noah Sudret is really into steampunk. Rachel Randolph once won an all-you-can-grab shopping spree at Toys R Us. And Ian Gallacher
1: is her long-lost brother.
0: Alex Clymer found a lost civilization underneath New York City.
1: James Holloway invents a time machine in the future and came back yesterday and told me about it.
0: Phil Jensen is the world's most renowned cosplayer of Wolverine.
1: Whoa. There's so many more of you to find out about and shower with love next episode. Thank you so much, patrons. Thank you so much, listeners. If you're still thinking about being a patron, head over to patreon.com and check out the rewards there.
0: And don't forget to check out Nowhere Streetwear for some awesome t-shirt designs that any nerd would truly love this nerd included
1: <laughs> get in there and check it all out and keep checking it out because he's going to be adding more maybe some Star Trek ones yes. in the future
0: I love it so next episode is going to be the Squire of Gothos I think it's a good one hmm? I don't remember it very well oh. it's very silly uh, <laughs> yay yay that's good Rachel it has been a pleasure watching Star Trek with you as always
1: it has been a pleasure yes
0: <laughs> and with that I'm Chris Lackey
1: and I'm Rachel Lackin. and you been listening to Rachel Watches Star Trek
2: Rachel Watches Star Trek!